0: Okay, this morning, I turned to a Genesis, and I happen to have been in First John, and I was reading in in First John how that, how that God's nature is is love and light, and they are inseparable, and it's very interesting the way it's been been brought out. Uh, through the Word, God has taught us. He's taught me uh, many years ago by saying that His His love, His love is the energy of His nature. Love, who He is, in First John four eight and sixteen, is the active energy. Of his nature, and that just simply means that God has, God is always active in who He is, and in only who He is. And that picture goes back to the Gospel of John. And verses one, chapter one, verse one. And that brings out this, this that little word "with" there in John one, verse one is the Greek word pros P R O S. And again, that is a God is revealing that for all eternity, as long as God's ever been, he and his son, with the Holy Spirit proceeding from them both, but he and his son are in this eternal, affectionate exchange and embrace of a love that nothing could could disturb or distract. And so God in his love, he's very, they're very, he's very active in the exchange of this love between him and his son with the Holy Spirit proceeding from both. And we must remember that God is a triune God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They never act independent of each other, and they all have a function as one in this relationship. And that was being brought out. I began studying, and well, when I say study, I I began to be, uh, to to receive uh, God's thoughts and his counsel towards me this morning. And I love his counsel because sometimes, And maybe a lot of times when we approach Him, when we approach God or even come to have needs in us to be met that only He can meet, we come with our own thoughts, a lot of our own thoughts. And what I love about His counsel and the way He was doing it with me this morning, what I love about His counsel is His counsel, His thought, His counsel takes me right out of what is not his thought about himself and about me, about his son, about the Holy Spirit, and takes me right out of it. And as I was reading this morning, I was in First John, and, and uh, First John, and, and I'll read that, and then I'll, I'll come back to what God gave me and just a very beautiful, and when we say simple, simple just simply means, you know, it's very beautiful. Uh, what Psalm 119, 130 states. And and that's what we mean, we mean by simple, the Bible. And when I say we, that's how God instructs us. And this is Psalm 119, 130. It says, the entrance of your words give light. Notice that, it says light. And I want us to hold that thought to about light, so Psalm 119, it says, the entrance of your words give light, for instance, when we approach God, a lot of times we approach him like we were saying, in the complexity of our own thoughts, they get, our thoughts, they get confusing, and we we think all these thoughts, and even when we're not aware of them, we're th- we get all these different thoughts, so then we come to hear his counsel through his word. And this is what Psalm 119 130 is saying. It is the entrance of your words give light. It gives understanding unto the simple. Simple simply means this. It literally means this in the Hebrew and it means it in the Greek. It simple means those that God has humbled. Those that he's humbled. Even the fact that we come to hear the word and when we come, coming the right way, we can, we can know that God leads us to come to here when there's no resistance. We're not, we haven't resisted him. And maybe sometimes even when we're coming, there's still a resistance, but we're still coming. So we know that that is an absolute work of his grace. Because if it wasn't him that would draw us, and he does based upon a need and needs we have that we can't we can't even fulfill them or accomplish them ourselves. He, he brings us to him. So when it says simple, that's the same thing that, that's opposed. The simplicity of just being humbled and receiving God's counsel through the light of his love, that thing is always what does away with the subtlety of Satan. And Satan's very subtle in Genesis 3 and verse 1. So all these thoughts that we have that aren't of him, they work some kind of a subtlety in us from the enemy. And that's why it says in Second Corinthians 11, verse 3, that's why Paul, when he, through the Holy Spirit, when he was speaking uh, to these Corinthians who were rejecting the word of Christ in him as a messenger for them, and then he said in in 2 Corinthians 11 verse 1 through through uh 3 he says would to god that you would bear with me a little in my folly see so he wanted to give them god's counsel but they considered it to be folly foolishness they felt like they knew enough that they, they didn't need a god's god's messenger and the choice that god chose to give them proper counsel and then he said indeed bear with me okay uh, do bear with me. For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy. For I have a spouse to you, one husband. And that's what he was trying to present to the Corinthians. That I may present you as a chaste virgin, virgin to Christ. See, virgin, and you know what a virgin is. She's pure. She hasn't been, you know, she, she or she hasn't been defiled as a pure virgin, a chaste virgin. But I fear lest by any means And as the serpent beguiled Eve. How did he beguile her? Projecting thoughts towards her that, went from, that were not from God. And remember, Eve is, is a type of the church because we have to remember that Eve was taken out of Adam. We and, and the Bible makes that very clear in Genesis, the second chapter. We were taken out of Christ, the second Adam. As, that, as it's revealed to us in 1 Corinthians 15, when it talks about the two Adams, 1 Corinthians fifteen forty-five to 49. But he says, For I fearless by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so, your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. You see, things get very simple when God has our attention and when He can give us proper counsel, proper thinking. And he makes things so clear, so crystal clear. And so that's simplicity. So when I was reading when I was reading First John, and, and that's how I started this morning. In first in John uh, verse one of Chapter One, it says that which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which and which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled the Word of life, really, what it's saying is it's the Word of life, man that was Christ for the life, and it's the the article, the Greek article. The is the Greek article and it's pointing, this is life, no other kind. There isn't life. There's just a, a, an existence in death apart from the life. So when it says, and the life was manifested, and we have seen it. Notice that? We've seen it. I want us to pay attention. Remember? Light. Remember the word light we said? In Psalm one nineteen one thirty, the entrance. See, it must have an entrance. The entrance of your word gives what? It gives light. So when my will is submitted to Christ, the very word of God in John 1, 1, who, who is the word and the word in John 1 and verse 14, tabernacled himself in humanity and came out and manifested himself as the life. For the life was manifested, and we've seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you what kind of life is it. That eternal life, which was with the Father, going back to John 1, verse 1, and was manifested after he put on his humanity in John 1, verse 14, and was manifested unto us. Verse 3, that which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that you also may have fellowship with us. So what is, who, who is the measure of our fellowship? It's eternal life. Who's that eternal life? That's Christ. We have eternal life in us in 1 John five eleven, because that's Christ in us in Colossians 1 and verse 27. The hope, the guarantee of a glorious future. Absolutely beautiful. And so that which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that you may also have fellowship with us and truthfully and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. This defines what fellowship is. It has to do with Christ and him alone. Verse 4, And these things write we unto you that, you're, what? that your joy may be full. He's hearkening back to John 15, verse 11, that your joy may be full and overflowing in in your capacity. This then is the message, in 1 John 1, 5, this then is the message, which we have heard of him, and this is what we're declaring unto you, that God is light, and in him no Darkness. darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him, And walk in darkness we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ his son cleanses us from all sin. And that's an eternal cleansing because whatsoever God does, Ecclesiastes 3 and verse 14, he does forever. So what this is teaching us What this is teaching us here in 1 John 1, verse 7, it's teaching us not our behavior or our conduct. When it says walk in the light as he is in the light, what that's teaching is simply this, is that that is our true character. And when I walk in my true character, I have a proper true identity, Christ himself in me in my own individuality. Christ in me and me in him. That's my true identity. And when I don't walk in that experientially, what am I walking in? Darkness, which is is what? The basis of a lie. And so where do all our other thoughts come from that aren't from him, that aren't from Christ, who's the full thought of God? Keep in mind that as the word of God in John 1, 1, Christ himself is the full thought of God. He's God's only thought. And when I think in Him, with him, through a will that's being submitted, in other words, again, Psalm one there's got to be an entrance. The entrance that is mine, it's mine in my position, but the entrance in my experience is me submitting my will in humility so that he can flow in me. And then I can flow in him and with him no matter what. And experience the life in romans eight thirty seven that's conquered everything. nothing can separate us from it in romans eight thirty five to thirty seven see so again we walk, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship based uh, fellowship one with another. What is our fellowship based upon? We have the same character. God has given us through receiving Christ as our Savior, the character of his very Son. And in doing so, that's why Jesus said in John 20, 17, I'm going to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And of course, in that particular sense... He's speaking obviously from John seventeen and verse five, the glory that he had as the Son of Man as the Son of Man he always had as the Son of God and that's what that verse is talking about in John seventeen and verse five but again, in 1 John one seven if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ his Son cleanses us from all sin. We experience this continual cleansing. And when we sin, that's 1 John 1.9, we confess it. We confess it, experience the forgiveness, and walk in our proper character. And that's what that's teaching. It's teaching us. So this, in 1 John 1.7, hearkens back Two, and John, obviously, through the Holy Spirit, who is his teacher and is using John in his own experience as the pen of a ready writer in psalm forty five one and two the pen of the ready writer is is God the Holy Spirit, taking the things of Christ and writing them down in us experientially when we submit to him, so what first john one seven is teaching is what Jesus was teaching the disciples in John the 13th chapter, verse 4, it says, He rose from supper and laid aside his garments. That speaks of the fact that that Jesus Christ laid aside his outward appearance as God Almighty. (laughs) He laid it aside. That goes into the type in In Numbers, the fourth chapter, the tabernacle was made of animal skins outwardly. It wasn't much to look at. And in Isaiah 53, and verse 2, there's no beauty in us that that we would be drawn to him. But in John 1, verse 14, we we beheld his glory. Even though he was tabernacled in humanity, we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten Son of God. Son of God, and he was filled up with all that grace and truth is. You see, everything we need is grace and truth, and it's filled up in him. And when we submit to him with with his will, that grace and truth makes things for us and our character very simple and plain. Very plain to see. So when it says here in John 13 and verse 4, He laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. This is bringing out the reality of Philippians 2 and verse 7 and 8. Okay, verse 6. And and again, let me just turn and I'll read that to you. And Philippians, the second chapter, is bringing out what is going on in John 13 and verse 4. And this is what Philippians chapter 2 is teaching us. This morning, in a a very beautiful way, in in Philippians 2 and verse 5, it says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the very form of God, deity, didn't consider his deity something to be grasped. He he knew he was equal with God, would always be that way, but he put on humanity. But made himself of no reputation. (laughs) You know where all our problems come from, is trying to hold a reputation in the flesh. <laughs> because reputation is, is who man thinks I am. Character is who I am in God's sight in first John 1.7 one seven as we've read. But he made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant. <laughs> God Almighty's doing this, the Son. And made and was made in the likeness. And likeness, there's the Greek word habit. He had no sin nature. He had a human nature, so he did things just like we did. We have to do. We're hungry. You're thirsty. You have to get up. You got to go. You got to go to work, and you have to trust God for everything. <laughs> he was made in the habit of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. He didn't have to learn like we did. He, had, he, he constantly learned about submitting to his Father so that he could be a faithful high priest for us in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 to 16. And this is why he did it. So he could be a faithful high priest interceding for us in Romans 8, verse 34, in Hebrews seven twenty five, and in Hebrews 9, and verse 26, so that while we walked the earth, he could intercede for us constantly and so when it says this being found in fashion as a man he humbled himself in his humanity and became obedient unto death even the death of the cross and that's what's bringing out here what happens here in type in John 13 in verse 4 he rose from supper laid aside his garments took a towel and girded himself with humanity He laid aside, aside. he didn't lay aside his glory or his deity, he could never do that, never would, couldn't, but he laid aside the outward expression of it, and took a towel, humanity, girded himself, in John 1, and verse 14, after that he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Then came he to Simon Peter, and, 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 and Peter said unto him, Lord, do you, you're washing my feet too? <laughs> Jesus answered and said unto him, What you, what I do you know not now, but you will know hereafter. Peter said unto him, you will never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I wash you not, you have no part with me, meaning you won't be able to fellowship with me. You'll be positioned in me, but your walk here to experience my love and my oneness with you, you'll never experience. You'll never experience if I don't wash your feet. This is 1 John 1 9. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that goes into Ephesians 5 26, 27. He washes us as the church, his bride. Christ washes us so that we won't have any spot or wrinkle in our experience because it's not who we are in our position. And we can see that clearly through the preponderance of these scriptures as God the Holy Spirit takes them and brings them into our thinking. In verse 9 of John 13, Simon Peter said unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said unto him, He that is washed... Receiving me once a Savior does not need to wash, needs not to have that happen again. In other words, once you receive Christ, you cannot lose your salvation because that's based upon a work that God only accomplished himself and never relied a bit on anybody else because no one else could accomplish that but his son, and that's why he sent him. You don't need to be whole, completely washed. In other words, to be regenerated in Titus 3, 5. That happened once. It's a once and for all, Hebrews ten ten act. And those that are born again, that he, they're, they're once and for all complete. And you see that in Hebrews 10, in verse 14. Jesus said unto him, He that is washed needs not except to have his feet cleansed, but is clean, completely and you are clean but not all and not all of course he was referring to Judas who never did receive him as his savior it wasn't that he had salvation and lost it he just never did God chose him like he chooses all to be born again but not all receive him submit their will and receive him to have their sins dealt with in John eight twenty one and 24. So that's what that's teaching. What that's teaching is 1 John, again, in simplicity. And remember, it's it's simple. Things are only simple when God, the Holy Spirit, takes the things of Christ, counsels us when we submit our will. They become simple in that sense. And only in that sense do they become simple. And that is what 1 John 1, 7 says. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, right? We have fellowship one another, with one another. That's our character. And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, is, is we're experienced in this eternal constant cleansing. The purity of who we are. See, because remember that love is the active energy of God's nature. Light is the purity of his nature. And light refuses to be mixed with anything else. So our salvation is of Christ who is light in John 8 12. You can't you don't mix works with Him that works that only He completed. He's not looking for us to do a single thing. He's just looking for us to constantly, as those that are born again, to continually submit our wills to Him. But we need to come we need to come and and to to where He has us to receive the Word so that we can submit to it and experience in our in our own proper image who we truly are in Christ, because Christ is in us. And then obviously then, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is love operating through perfect justice that's been fulfilled. That's what 1 John 1-9 is bringing out clearly in the Scriptures. And so, as we begin to close this This morning, I was in and just reading all of that. And, and that's when God had me turn to Genesis, the first chapter. Verse 1, it says, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. At some point in eternity, he created it. And then in verse 2, it says, and the earth was without form and void and darkness. Notice that darkness was upon the face of the deep. So in between those two verses, there was something cataclysmic that happened. Those Hebrew words in in verse 2 bring it out clearly, which we won't get into this morning, but we're going to continue. Then it says, "...in the Spirit of God," Holy Spirit, "...moved upon the face of the waters." Now, when it says in the beginning that God created the heaven and the earth, who created all things? Jesus said about himself in John 1:3, He, the Son of God, created all things. That's brought out again in Colossians 1:15 and 16. All things were created by Him and for Him. Okay, so God said, Let there be light. Notice that light. Remember what light is. Light is an element that refuses to be mixed with anything with itself. It just doesn't, it can't be. So again, in in light, we, we we can see, even in light, we see the active energy of God in the Trinity. Because one ray of light, we've said this and God showed us this, showed us all this before. That one ray of light, when it comes through, that one ray of light has three parts to it. There's actinic, luminiferous, and calorific. And each one of those reveals God, the fullness of God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. God the Father can neither be seen nor felt. God the Son can be seen and felt. We know that because we read 1 John 1, 1 through 3. We touched him. We handled him, they said. We handled him. And the Holy Spirit can't be seen, but he can be felt. One ray of light. So when it says this, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was what? Good. We know that only good resides in God himself. There is no good in man, in Matthew nineteen seventeen and 18, in Luke 18, 17, 18, and 19, there is no good. But in God himself, that's brought out as he's revealing his very nature, character, and essence in Exodus 34 in verse 6. And so God called the light, what? Day. Who's the day star? Oh boy, who's the day star? In 2 2 Peter 1 and verse 20, it's Christ, the day star. And he dawns on us, bringing out reality. Who God is in his proper image, in who he's made us to be in our proper image, in the son of his love. In Colossians 1 and verse 13, the son of his love. God saw the light and it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day. And the darkness he called night. And the evening and the morning were the first day. You see where this, see that's time began. Time began in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 4. That's when time began. Do you see where it says day and night here? There is a day and night. There is a day and night. And in the correlation of the Scriptures, there's a day and night. But we know that when we finally get into the eternity of the eternity's time, and, and Revelations 10.6 is no more, we're in the eternity, we're in the eternal is. That's why when by the time we get to Revelations 21, when we get there in Revelations 21, look what it says in verse 22 and 23. It says, and I saw no temple therein. No, because the temple was Jesus Christ, the Lord himself. He tabernacled, he templed, he tabernacled himself in humanity in John 1 and verse 14. But here it says in Revelations 21 and verse 22, I saw no temple therein. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. Look what it says in verse 23. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. Now there is a time of darkness in terms of his absence from us. That's why Jesus, when he said this in John chapter 9, I must work the works of him that sent me. Who does the works? Who did all the work? By himself alone. No wonder it says in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. We're saved by grace. Unmerited, undeserved kindness and favor of God towards completely unworthy objects in themselves. There was nothing in those that were unworthy objects that could draw out his love. He did it freely of his own will. Notice how important it is for us to submit ourselves To God's will, which is the word, which is his son, for us to experience that love. He said, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is the day. The night comes when no man can work. The night of his absence. But he's interceding for us. As we said, as long as I am in the world, I'm the light of the world. And who do you suppose he's the light of the world while he's absent? Christ in us. We're the, we, we are his little stars shining in the night of his absence on the earth. And hopefully when people look at us, they can see Christ in us, that treasure in Second Corinthians 4, 7. That's in these weak, frail vessels. They have weak, frail vessels just like us, but they see treasure. They see light coming out. And so in Genesis, the first chapter, as we close this this morning, and God called the light day in Genesis 1, 5, and the darkness he called night. And the evening and the morning were the first day, time beginning. And God said, let there be a firmament. So he's He's calling in to all these things, okay? And I'm going to just be kind of skipping around here. So here is, an, on the first day, the first day, was the evening and the morning. Notice what it says in Genesis 1 and verse 5. It was the first day, number one. Okay. And then in 1-8 of Genesis, God called the firmament heaven, and the evening and the morning were the second day. a second day. Very interesting, second day. And we can see these things very clearly in the Scriptures. And then he goes on to name these days. He goes into that. And then in verse 13 of Genesis 1, in the, after he created things, and he saw that it was good in 112, in 113, the evening and the morning were what? The third day. Okay? Days, right? And then we see, as we go on here in 119, after creating... One In 118, that that he created and saw that was good because he created it. Does God create things that are good? He doesn't create things void and without form. No. But he created them. And then we see very clearly in 119 of Genesis in the evening and the morning with the fourth day. We see the fourth day there, don't we? Then in the fifth day we see what he created in Genesis 1.22, and then in 1.23, the evening in the morning, or the fifth day. We see that. Right? And then we see this. This is very interesting. I never saw it this way before till this morning. And then in this and then it says in Genesis 1 and verse 26. It says, and God said, let us make man in our image. Notice that? Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion. Look at what it says in verse 27. It says, so God created man in his image. In the image of God created he them and he created them male and female. What is the image of God? When God created man, how did he create him? When he created Adam, he created him. And this is brought out in in the prayer that God gave the Apostle Paul for the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 23. I pray God, your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord. Faithful is he who called you, who will also do it in 1 Thessalonians 5 in verse 24. See, the, the creation of man was was created way different than the creatures, the animals that he had created because they're dichotomous. They have a soul and they have a body. We're created to worship him. That's why we have a human spirit. We're created to worship him in, in, in intimate fellowship and in exchange with him of a love life that nothing could disturb or distract. And of course, we know Adam fell. But when we look at these scriptures and when we see them, <clears throat> here it says, So God created man in his image, his own image, and the image of God made he them, male and female. And God blessed them and said unto them, And it's telling you everything that he did, doesn't it? But look what it says. By the time we get to the end of everything that God created in Genesis 1, 3, uh, 4 through, th- through 31, then in verse chapter 2 and verse 1, it says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished. The heavens around the earth. Okay? The heavens around the earth. God was already ruling and reigning throughout all eternity in the heavens of the heavens, <laughs> of which there's no end and of which he inhabits in Isaiah 57 and verse 15. And then it says that the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he made. But he, does, he doesn't create Adam here Until we get to chapter uh, 7, verse 7 of of Genesis 2. It says, The Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of lives to procreate. The breath of lives, the Hebrew says, and man became a living soul. But he was already resting in the image of. that God would create man in. Was it Adam's image? No. He formed Adam out of the dust of the ground. But when it says that in Genesis 1, 26 and 27, he created man in his own image. That image was his son long before he ever created anything. Because in Revelations 13, 8, he was the lamb slain before the foundation of the earth. Remember the foundation of the earth was the beginning of time? In Genesis one and verse four, well, in God's eternal mind, He created man in the image of His Son, because He knew, through His own will, refu- re- refusing submission to God, would would give way to the devil, through His wife, in Genesis three one to six. But yet He still saw us; He still He would still see all those that would choose His Son to be in the image the only image that he created man. Isn't that awesome? Think about this in Hebrews 4 and verse 3, that the works were finished from the foundation of the earth. That does away with all the nonsense of fleshly works, those that are born again, and those that are taught that they have to go back to the old covenant and continue to do works and to produce fruit. So that they can know that they're not only that, that not only he's their savior, but that he's their Lord by the fruit that they would produce. But yet it says, it, yet it says it's the fruit of the Holy Spirit, God Himself in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Their fruit, it says, in Hosea 14, verse 8, is from me, it says. And then in Psalm 92 and verse 14, even in their old age, and sometimes we think in our old age things are done, but we can still function in the Production of the fruit that He's made ours in Christ in Psalm ninety-two and verse fourteen. The enemy likes to, at times to convince older people it's too late, it's over. No, all you have to do is submit your will to experience God in your own proper image. So you see, there's a day. It's almost like you see you see eternity in operation. In Genesis 1, 26 and 27, because it says on the seventh day he rested. Then he created Adam from the dust of the ground. But whose image do you suppose he saw him in? His own image, and who was that? His son that he would send thousands of years into the future. And that's light. Jesus is light. We know that. We know that in John 1 and verse 5. The light, the light that Christ is in John 1, 5, shined into the darkness, Satan's kingdom, where he was operating as a result of the fall in Genesis 3 and 1 through 6. Here he is. And what? What did he do in in John 1, verse 5? Does anybody Remember? In John 1 verse 5, it shined into the darkness, and the darkness did not overwhelm it. Because what does light do? Does darkness overwhelm light, or does light overwhelm darkness? That's the sun coming in. And that's why this is the message then, in First John 1 5, that God is light, and in him is no darkness. And in our proper image, in Christ, there is no darkness in our proper image. In our proper identity. We don't identify identify with our past. We don't even identify with our sins. God's given us confession to confess it. Even in 1 John 1, 9, he's given us that. And so he's given us all these things. And so Jesus said in John 8, 12, as we close this morning, I am the light of the world. He that walks after me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He's light. And light... Here is the Son of God In His very nature and character and essence. God the Son is love, active energy. What are we like when we don't experience His love? We get weak and we get frail, okay? But then light comes out. Light came out. The purity of God's nature through His Son came out. That's why he, you can't mix anything with God the Son who finished the work in John 19.30. He, 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 God refuses it. He only, he only accepts the light of who his Son is in us. And what should we accept? Darkness? Lies? And so we see in the beauty of the Scriptures how much he loves us deeply. That, he, that the light of his son, would come, would come out, put on humanity, so that he could bring us back into, in our human natures, and cleansed, cleansed in our new natures, in Second Corinthians five sixteen and 17. But in 17, we, we, old things are passed away. They're not in a process of passing away. God's not teaching us what needs to pass away. He's teaching us, once we're in Christ, what has already passed away. And all things are new in him. And we see that even in, in brought out in, in the eternity of the eternities in Revelation 21 and verse 5. So we see that light through the scriptures teaches us what our proper image is. Who our proper image is, what it's based upon, Christ, not ourselves. We just simply receive it by grace. No merit in ourselves. So that we can be lit up in a proper image with the treasure that's in us in Second Corinthians 4, 7. So, Father, we thank you this morning for your love, for your light. Love, the active energy of your nature. Light, the purity of your nature. And thank you that in Titus 1 and verse 15, to the pure all things are pure, and we're to think only pure thoughts. And in Philippians 4 8, and whatever is not of grace in Ephesians 4 and verse 29 is corrupt, it's death that that separates us from the true image of who Jesus Christ is in the revelation of a love of a father and a son that nothing could disturb or distract. Thank you, Lord, that you've made us sons and daughters in Romans 8.15. You've given us the Holy Spirit to constantly declare that to us when we submit our wills in Romans 8.16, and we have that inheritance. We're heirs of Christ in 8.17 of Romans. And it's true again in Galatians 4, verses 6 and 7. Thank you that we can just cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy, our Father, our precious Father, through Jesus Christ, our Son, who was the light who put on humanity that came out. He had to come out because we could never go bridge the gap. It was eternal. We could never do that. But he had to come out, and all those that receive him, he brings them right back in to the bosom of the Father. That word kolpon, K-O-L-P-O-N in the Greek, kolpon, the place of the most intimate, loving, affectionate exchange that nothing could disturb or distract. Thank you this morning, God, for your precious truth and your precious thoughts about your Son and about us and your Son to your glory and our eternal blessing in Jesus' name. Amen.